Part 1 Chapter 1 Little Duck 1885-1907 The wooden sidewalks on either side of the single dirt street were perfectly still, without any moving thing. The town's commerce was conducted in false-fronted shacks, but all of the respectable enterprises, a drugstore, two hotels, and several cafes, were closed. On one side of town there were nine churches, four white and five black. On the other side, on the banks of Porter's Bayou, there were at least that many brothels and saloons. But even they weren't open for business today. It was August 1907, and all across small-town America in each of the other 44 states, it was the same as here in Mississippi. Everyone was just outside of town at the ballpark. Nearly every town in America had its own ballpark and its own ball team, and both were sources of considerable civic pride. The smaller the community, the greater the pride. Challenges were issued to neighboring towns, and the games became festive occasions with bands and cookouts. Special trains brought in the out-of-town fans, though visiting teams were at a disadvantage because the home teams supplied the umpires. Nevertheless, the betting was heavy. Baseball really was the national pastime, and in Shaw, this really was the only game in town. No one missed it. It would be years before radio broadcasts of major league games began eroding attendance. Typically, the games were played on rock-studded vacant lots and in cow pastures where sometimes dried fecal matter served as bases. Shaw's ballpark was an old cotton field that had been dragged more or less smooth with a huge steel rail. The backstop was fashioned from weathered discarded lumber and chicken wire. The bases were burlap bags filled with sand. The field was surrounded by horse-drawn wagons and buggies, and fans watched attentively from chairs and spread out quilts they had brought with them. Shaw's center fielder that day was a short, wiry man just a few months away from his 22nd birthday, while his teammates looked vaguely comic in their beanie caps and baggy uniforms, the man in center field was tailored to parade ground neatness. The only shabby thing was his glove, which was nothing more than a flimsy, laceless pad, not unlike a hot pad, that required him to use his fingers when he caught the ball. He played a shallow center field, not because he had great range, but because he had a weak arm, the legacy of a boyhood fight in which it was broken. Like most town teams, Shaw's was semi-professional, meaning the players, at least some of them, were paid, but not on a full-time basis. The Shaw Nine played two games on Saturday, one on Sunday. The center fielder, along with the catcher, the pitcher, and the shortstop, were out-of-towners who were paid to play. Local, unpaid talent filled in the rest of the Shaw roster. In the middle of the game, a hat would be passed around, and fans would be exhorted to loosen their wallets. The center fielder was paid $25 a week, which is the equivalent of about $500 today. From this, we can conclude that the center fielder's baseball talent was above average, but just how far above is not known.
At five foot four, he presented pitchers with a small strike zone and drew a lot of walks. What is certain is that he was one of the most popular players. He had a melon slice of a smile that crinkled the skin around intense bleached denim eyes. His teammates called him Mary Merrill, and he was the life of every party. One young lady of this day remembered in later years that everyone loved it when Charlie Merrill came to town, especially the young women, because he was so much fun.